HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Zara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. Hey folks, how you doing? You hanging in there? Um, Hopefully everyone is okay. I feel like okay is kind of the best we can ask for at this point. Um, If you're doing better than okay, that is wonderful. And if you are doing less than okay, um, I am really sorry. And I know a lot of you are, and that is really tough. Um, I hope that you guys liked our crisis catch-up episode from last week with some of our former guests, um, and that was helpful. I know that this experience is bringing up just such an ins- like incredible amount of different feelings for people. Um, I can speak personally that like I've had the time to kind of tuck into some past traumas and family things and relationship things and all of these different feelings and surrounding the end of my business and all kinds of just stuff I'd really tucked away. And I know that it is hard. I know a lot of us are doing that amongst the other just kind of more acute uh, losses of, you know, actual humans being lost and jobs being lost and purpose. And there's just so much. And there's all these things we can gain and learn if we're lucky, if we're able, if we're capable. 
um, and there's all these things that we're losing and it's a really weird time and there's no right way to do it or navigate it. Um, I think this is really one of those situations where doing your best is, has never been a truer sentiment. I think that's all we can do is really do our best. Um, so we have another catch up episode this week and this week we're talking to Amelia Nurberg and we are talking to Anna Dunn. And we are talking to Cynthia Cherish Malloran, three amazing past guests who offer us a plethora of wisdom and wholeheartedness and kindness. And just, it was so awesome. Um, Amelia had written an article for the New York Times, as she is a writer for the Times, um, about her dad, who's a physician, and he contracted coronavirus. And the article was basically about whether or not she had to say goodbye to him because she thought he might die. And he's well, he's recovered. And he also joined us on this episode, which was so cool. Like, what a treat. What a lovely person. Um, And the two of them together were so cute. It was really special. Um, And all all of the interviews that we did were really special. Everyone brings such a beautiful perspective to the table. And we were so grateful to speak with them. And it was such a, that was such a wonderful day. And we're going to be doing it again next week. So, Hopefully we'll be able to catch up with a whole other slew of our our faves. Um, so enjoy the episode. And uh, we are available for emotional support the best we can. Um, if you want to reach out at processing, um, processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Um, or you can DM us on Instagram at processingpodcast. And we will do what we can to just talk you through anything that you have going on or um, we point you in the right direction of where to get help or find resources or money or whatever it is, you know, however we can be of help. If we can be of help, we'd be happy to. Um, so please don't hesitate to reach out and enjoy the episode and take care of yourselves and each other. Okay. Mwah. Okay, we are here with a very special guest, DJ Cherish the Love, Cynthia. Nice to talk to you. How are you and where are you? I am still in New York City for the time being. That is going to change very soon, but I am here in Manhattan just trying to figure out stuff with my clients and work and how to turn everything that was face-to-face and in-person in vivo uh, onto online. So it's yes. very- right. How is that working in your profession as a professional DJ? Like, how are you? Um, what? How are you? What are you? What are you doing to adapt? Well, the only open gig, let's say, that I have right now is my teaching stuff. Uh, with a few DJ gigs, uh, I think in October, but those might change. So my only regular income right now is still teaching. So that's what we're trying to pivot into the digital version of you know i would teach music to up to 18 kids in front of me so now what do we do and especially with the population that i work with that don't all necessarily have cell phones nor computers and they can't get together in a general assembly room how do we deliver anything to them apart from you know just that we want them to know that we're thinking of them and that we haven't forgotten about them and a lot of them are you know 
I might have mentioned in the past, I work with children who are experiencing homelessness in the shelter system in New York City. So their environment is not, um, you know, the best to be quarantined in, I guess you can say, for so many reasons. So how do we deliver content to them? At the very least, uh, a letter to them that says, hi, haven't forgotten about you. It's crazy. And then secondarily, obviously, to teach, continually teach, because we are teaching with a gracious grant from the mayor's office, and we had weekly programming with them. So that's our challenge right now. I have been doing online classes and teaching myself uh, with groups across the nation via Zoom, which has been amazing. Wow, yeah. Zoom has really stepped up, huh, and become such a part of everyone's lives, like, overnight. It's like talk about becoming a household term like instantly. I know. And you know they've achieved success when you start hearing that, you know, people with ill intent are Zoom bombing, which Uh, is just uh, terrible. So, wait, what is Zoom bombing? So, this is what's happening now. Uh, Folks who are, someone was saying they're bored. No, you know, bored people don't abuse, right? It's not necessarily like, just because you're bored, you're going to start abusing the world. I guess you can say uh, racist sociopaths. Let's, Uh, let's say what it is. And uh, you know, they'll pop into zoom and look at open networks that have person, a person of color leading it. And they will literally jump in and start shouting slurs. They'll share to a church group and their screen will have porn on it. So that's what's happening right now. And that's how you know that zoom has become, you know, (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, and, and it just irritates me so much because it's so stressful already right now. And then yeah. the, the dark side of me that's literally mourning the way we lived three weeks ago or so is like, just why do they get to walk the earth? You know, like, I'll just yeah. say it. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, to to pivot a little bit, Cynthia, I've been thinking about you a lot since I met you. As a matter of fact, I've been talking about you a lot. Hmm. And your concept of primary food and secondary food, I mm-hmm. feel like is so important now. It is is just vital because I'm really working with my clients about primary food. That's what it's all about. That's how we maintain yeah. our well-being truly is through the primary foods. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, primary food and secondary food, a concept that I learned when I was in nutrition school several years ago at IIN, the the basis of the idea is just to think about your intake and not just your food intake. So the food that you eat via your mouth, like if you eat popcorn at a movie, that popcorn and maybe pretzel, that's secondary food. That's the stuff you chew and digest. But primary food is everything else in life that nourishes you before you eat, like the actual movie in front of you and the one-on-one time you're having with your date, let's say, at the movie. That stuff feeds you and you'll see a pattern that the better primary food you have in your life, like a nice gym routine, a job you love, a boss you love, good relationships, uh, me time, you know, the the more good quality primary food you have, the better quality secondary food you ingest and take. Mm -hmm. And then adversely, if you have a terrible job and terrible primary food, abusive relationship, um, terrible environment outside, like let's say, Months ago, I had construction outside of my window, Mm. constant, because I'm on the L train. And I found I was eating terrible, you know, secondary food to kind of cope with the stress of it. So, yeah, primary food is basically just, you know, keeping in mind the things that we intake 
through our eyes, ears, nose, mouth, you know, all our senses that nourish us um, because we get nourishment as a whole person, not just a stomach. Totally. We're talking with one of our last guests about resilience and, you know, certainly in this time, we want to be resilient, not only in our body, but in our mind and our spirit. And I think yeah. the concept you have of secondary, I mean, some primary foods, which although they're altered because we're not uh, doing some of the things that we used to do, but it's really important to think about the things that we intake, um, particularly, you know, for some people limiting the amount of news that they watch, because that's, you know, our mind is like a movie screen. And so the things that we're projecting on there are really significant and important right now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So what kind of, oh, I hear Bo in the background, mom. Um, so what kind of primary and secondary foods are you intaking at this time, Cynthia? I love this question. Thank you for this, because I love to examine what I've been doing the past uh, three weeks now. So, you know, full disclosure, I'm just going to tell the truth because I think someone will just enjoy it. <laughs> because it's yeah, of course. Um. I am an ex-food addict. I mean, to the point that in my 20s, I was almost 300 pounds. I remember a time when I got on the scale and it was like 265, and then I didn't get on the scale for many months more. So I know there was more to that. And um, I know the reasons why. I I had experienced abuse as a child. I was putting on all kinds of barriers in front of me, the moat, as you can say, mm. and didn't understand that I was also experiencing abuse as a, a, a young woman and just, you know, just the impact of, of life and trauma. And just, it was, it was all my uh, way of coping and the weight I put on was my thick, thick scar. Let's put it that way. Mm. So having recovering and healing from obesity and, and that in about 20 years, I knew, <laughs> I knew Three weeks ago, when this was hitting and we were to be quarantined to our home with the with the temptations of seamless and everything else around me, the ease of ordering in thirty dollar take it, you know deliveries three times a day was going to drain my uh, savings. <laughs> it was going to also make me feel very guilty and very unwell. So I signed up for uh, Noom, which. You might be seeing the ads for. This is not an yeah. ad for Noom. No, I have. I know some people who have been using Noom and they've been really, really liking it. I'm really glad that I did because to be here solo with my dog, my dog doesn't, you know, she doesn't really give me guidance and <laughs> wants to eat all day. But I knew immediately because now I listen to myself every little whisper and my whisper was like, oh, you need, you need some support. Yeah. And support that I could, you know, just keep to myself and control. So that app, uh, their whole system suddenly became very attractive to me, signed up. I'm so glad I did. Uh, So I've been cooking three times a day, loaded with veggies and just like very healthfully stocking my fridge with the Trader Joe's across the street from me. I know in the past, if I didn't sign up for that in this stressful zone, I would have been ordering in a ton and not telling anyone. Because with me as a as a food addict would do literally buy an entire pizza and, you know, not tell anyone I had it and not tell anyone how quickly or not quickly I ate it. So I I couldn't do that at this time because I loved myself that much more than back then. Uh And I didn't want to hurt myself in this time. I just knew, you know, that's right. Yeah, of course. I think it's so, 
important to try. I mean, you know, this is such a difficult time for everyone. And we have these kind of comfortable zones that we can sneak back into. I, for me, it's I, depression, you know, so just like really kind of dark feelings and sadness. And I felt myself going into that the other day. And then I also stopped myself in a similar way to what you're talking about. And I was like, let's make a healthy choice here because there is choice in this. You know what I mean? Like right. we can't control every feeling we have that comes up every day and we don't need to suppress them or, or, you know, never indulge anything or never have anything delicious or never have any feelings that are unhappy, whatever. It's about balance. But I was like, I do have control here. And what things can I do that I know will set me up for success getting through this and not exactly. going to my worst place? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And realizing yeah. what things are a choice and what things, you know, aren't choice. That being said, if anyone's really struggling with depression out there, I want to make sure to be, I'm a very big advocate. Well, I'm not on medication myself. I'm definitely an advocate for medication and of course, reaching out um, for help, et cetera. It's not just about, you know, powering through it or making a decision. It can be very real for different people. But for me, that was how I. And we'll put some hotline numbers on the, on the episode later. Um, you know, it's the serenity prayer, right? It's it's what's helped thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people through many, many decades, you know, survive things. It's what can we control and what we can't. And exactly. notice the difference because you can't focus on the things that you can't control. Yeah. So, exactly. You know, I just want to bring up a quick metaphor that I've been thinking about. It's, it's like we're all out at sea and we've been left out there, basically not many life preservers and... But the point is we want to survive. We, we're treading water and we want to keep our head above the water. And it's not just physically, but we want to survive spiritually and emotionally. And so making good choices, it's so good to hear what you said, Cynthia, about the good choices that you made. Yeah, yeah and I didn't do that. You know, I, I was very, um, I hadn't mentioned that publicly because I'm also aware of how ableist that is. And of course it costs money to join a program and how it could make or trigger someone else to be like, this is a time about, you know, fat phobia. It's not, that's not what my intention was to share that right now. It was just, you asked me what I'm doing for myself. And I didn't want to share that just out of nowhere, like on Facebook, like, Hey, Noom is great. So I'm right. on this COVID-15, you know, and all the jokes that are happening. It's very hurtful for people who are, you know, having, having a struggle with their health and their weight to being, you know, faced with memes about, Oh, now I'm going to get fat because of this. It's, right. it's terrible. And I've been on both sides of it, but I just want to put out there is that this is an exquisite time for you to really look at yourself and go inward. I have been creating a lot of music because I have the time and these are the things I wanted to do. And in the past few weeks, and I'm also not saying this to trigger um, any, you know, hyper productivity thing, which is also what's happening. Just want to say, if you don't want to do a thing right now, that is totally fine as well. Like yeah. you can just literally lay and watch Netflix eight hours a day. That's fine. <laughs> Except that I'd like to mention that distraction really is good. It's important to have distraction. Oh. We need to go offline yeah. that way, but it numbs us. Just so therefore it's a choice if you want to be numb you know, all the time or some of the time, you know, but we do need things that are stimulating. And uh, yeah. wouldn't you agree? Yes, absolutely. I think we just don't focus on the simple phrase, feel good. Right. And we know when we've gone over our limits and we don't feel good. Like I will give myself as much ice cream as I want for 
me to feel good, but I know when it starts to not feel good and that's when I should stop. And in the past, it's not where I stopped. Right. <laughs> so, so right. I say that, you know, if you want to just relax and tune out and not listen to the news and not go on a zoom thing every day, don't. Yeah. Um, but if you are finding like, this is also a time for you to express your voice and, and do your solo work, your one-on-one work, and uninfluenced by anyone else in the room or at your job, this is also a great time for that. Beautiful. It's a great way of putting it. Cynthia, uh, we've been asking some of our guests um, the same question, which I think is interesting to hear everyone's response because they're so different. But um, if you can take one thing that you've learned or they're experiencing in this experience and take it and use it out of this experience once this has kind of come to an end, what would that be? Oh, good question. I would say for me personally, it would be self-forgiveness. Mm. Working on that beautiful. right now. That's a and the reason one. being, the more this gets more intense, I mean, we had the worst news of New York last night. The more it intensifies, the more I hear ambulances outside of my apartment, which is I live by enough hospitals to hear it every hour, the more I feel guilty about what? Having had experienced this virus in December and traveling all around the world with it into Anaheim and God knows who I spread it to. So that's what I'm working on for myself right now. Um, no one was calling it COVID-19 in Manila at the doctor. They, the doctor said, you have that bad virus, period. Wow. I <laughs> didn't realize that. So you feel you were, you had it, or you believe you had it in December. I, uh, have had all the symptoms, me and someone else on the crew, on the TV crew had it. I picked mm. it up pretty, pretty confident. I picked it up on my 18 and a half hour flight to Singapore, uh, on just after Christmas, I got so ill on the 27th I can't even describe it so ill straight through Singapore straight through uh, Bali and in Bali I was so sick that they had they were giving me massages every day to like just break my fever Um, finally got to Manila beginning of January at uh, like January 3rd I think it was and then you know by the 6th we were shooting and I was still coughing into the microphones during the show and would tell the folks who were attached to me via the mic, I would say, I'm about to go into a coughing fit, silence your headphones. And then I'd go into these fits and, you know, hugging everyone, me and, you know, someone else on the crew was like, we didn't know. I was finally better, like towards the end of the first week of January. So I was really acute 26th through the 6th of January, really bad. And, um, and once I started feeling better, I thought, oh, wow, that was the worst flu I've ever had. I've never had a flu with a headache before. I've never had this, this, and that. I had chills all the time. And um, then I come back to New York and then have we have an event in Anaheim. And I fly back there. And I'm like, how many people did I get in touch with if I was carrying it? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about that a lot. And, oh, my um, goodness, yeah. It felt terrible, especially since, um, you know, my parents are older. And they were at risk. So I was very concerned. So I'm in this space now of just being like, you didn't know. And Absolutely. had you known, you would have not acted, you know, recklessly. So that's what I'm working on, the self the self thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we forgive, we forgive you and we the work <laughs> on you forgiving yourself because it's completely understandable. You know, there's many things that we don't know. And, 
we know later. And if we only knew then, but we don't. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. This was a great catch up and your perspective is just so, it's just so wonderful. And it's amazing how everyone has such a different take on what's happening and, and brings a different energy and mood. And um, yours is really beautiful. And it was so, such a wonderful contribution to this conversation. Can't thank you enough. Thank you for bringing me back on and, you know, just any, any opportunity for me to voice that for myself helps me heal. So thank you. Of course. And, you know, thank you for getting this out there. I think we all need, we need really good content right now. And this is obviously some of that. <laughs> thank, well, thank you so you much. Thank you for saying that. That's amazing. And um, be safe and healthy. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you soon. Okay. Stay, okay. stay good and healthy. Okay. Bye. Stay well, Cynthia. Bye. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee, representing 75% of U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry production. With over 100 articles published in health journals stating the vast health benefits of Michigan superfruit, it's best to choose the cherry with more. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency Tart Cherry at ChooseCherries.com. We are here with our amazing friend Amelia, journalist for the New York Times, joined us for our episode entitled Burnt Cookies, in which we talked a lot about your article, Amelia, um, about widows uh, and eating after experiencing loss and mealtime and... You also just recently wrote a new article for the Times about your father, who is a physician's diagnosis and battle with coronavirus. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what's been going on with you lately? Um, yeah, yeah. One second. My dad just walked into the room. Dad, I'm, I'm on the radio. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, but okay, he's going to stay in the room. So we have a listening okay. audience of my parents. Okay. Good. Cool. It's wonderful. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. My, I mean, my dad's sitting here on the other end of the dining room from me wearing his N95 mask, which he wears whenever he's around my mom and I. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was about two and a half weeks ago. Um, and my dad intubated a corona patient who had coronavirus, which is like you insert a breathing tube to help them breathe. And then a couple days later, he came down with symptoms and it was, I mean, it wasn't touch and go in so far as he was on a ventilator, but we were, we were pretty frightened and he spent the night in the hospital last week and is now in really just the past two days leaving his bedroom. He just gave me two silent thumbs up. <laughs> oh, we, are, we are now relieved, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. It's been scary. Yeah. Well, first, we are so relieved to hear that your dad is, is doing better and Thank you. getting better. S such good news. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting, like, just, I think that in general, we hear about things, um, and when this crisis began, and when a lot of other crises that begin overseas or in other countries or in other parts of our own country, like, it's it's other. And I think it's a similar thing to how people think about grief if it hasn't touched them like oh god that's that could never happen to me or you know and even those of us who are empaths and and 
big feelers, there's still a thing when it hasn't reached you that it's just this foreign, this entity that we could never uh, actually come into our own lives. And so how did it feel being impacted by this thing that we're all scared of and actually having it have uh, such a heavy impact on your own family and your own life? It's a really good question. Um, I, I totally agree with you about, you know, it can't happen here until it happens here. Um, but we were, we, I mean, you know, I, I'm a journalist and my dad's an emergency room doctor. And I think that we were both earlier than at least a, a lot of my friends to know how, that this was going to, dad, if you want to be interviewed, you can be interviewed, but you can't. He's like emoting, but not actually doing it. The parent-child relationship is the same in, in <laughs> family. <laughs> It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. You know, it's but you, you know, I, I mean, I think that I, I think that we were one of the first people, uh, families that we know to be directly affected. And I think for our friends, it was really a moment of okay, this this is real. Like, you know, get get your max, stay inside. So I think I think from that element of it, we were happy. In a weird way, it was kind of a blessing because I think that you know, my grandmother started taking it seriously and, you know, she's quite old and she's fine. And you know, if she had waited six more days to take it seriously, like who knows, you know, mm -hmm. so there, there's something, there's some sort, sort of silver lining, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's really intense. So what have you guys, you know, being that your dad had fallen ill and that there's obviously so much stress and like, nervousness and pain around that. What have you guys been doing? What's the food situation been like in the house? Have you guys been able to cook for yourselves or each other? What kind of things have you make been making for your dad to help him in his healing process? Yeah. I mean, we have amazing neighbors. We, you know, we, uh, one of our neighbors is a fireman, you know, retired teachers, and they, they have been going and getting us groceries. Hmm. So we are flush. Um, and you know, dad, one of the things about coronavirus is that it's, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And so dad, when he was really sick, was sleeping hours and hours and hours a day, but every night we made sure to have a family dinner. Mm. And so we would, he would be sitting in their bed and then I would be sitting about 10 feet away in the doorway of their bedroom. <laughs> and then my mother would be sitting about 10 feet away from me in a chair in the hallway, <laughs> And we would bring the food up from the kitchen on trays. And it was, it was, I mean, in some ways it's been the only way that is the, been the only thing I've done every day. So it's one of the only ways that I'm marking time at all. Mm. But when we were as a family, you know, most worried, that was this really nice kind of blessing. You know, I haven't, I haven't lived at home in years and uh -huh. we all, you can't mime at me if you're not going to talk. Um <laughs> We all, we all like got to have dinner together for two every night for two weeks, which we haven't done since I moved, went to college, you know. And so there's actually something really beautiful about that. It sounds yeah. like it was the ritual of it, you know, the ritual of getting the Absolutely. food, putting it on three trays, all having your proper distance from each other, and then being Absolutely. able to enjoy together. What a beautiful ritual every night. Well, also, yeah. Dad, just come here. Just come here and talk to them. This is my dad, Rick Nierberg. He's we had really, really awesome neighbors who would, you know, in the old-fashioned way of when a family is sick, they cooked for us and brought food over. Ah. Members of the family, uh, really uh, great cousins, uh, bought food at, the, let's say, some of the restaurants that are trying to stay afloat by selling, uh, uh, you know, 
takeout, we were brought some great food by yeah. Blue Hills and one of the best Chinese restaurants, so Mandarin, and some re really great food brought by others. So yeah, we have uh, chicken. We, we have like three different chicken soups in our house because I was about to say, what about the chicken soup? I want to hear more about how <laughs> you guys make chicken soup. And my daughter made uh, pasta puttanesca. Yeah, I made pasta puttanesca, oh. which. But it's funny, you know, because I'm also, I'm currently recipe testing for a story that we're publishing next week. Um, spoiler alert, it's about Polish food. Oh. So, which was, yeah. So we're, we made like a traditional Polish borscht and pierogies because I had to make sure my recipes were good enough. So we've been. Ah. Awesome. Um, which was nice. um, and we also opened some of our most expensive bottles of wine when dad was feeling the sickest because we figured <laughs> what the heck, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. You know, after my, my father passed away from cancer a couple of years ago, my mom, they were divorced, but my mom, my mom came down to kind of help afterwards and she kind of started this tradition of doing these really like fabulous celebrations. So we would go to my dad's mm -hmm. restaurants where we were drinking Manhattans and we were ordering expensive steaks and like doing all this really like, fabulous stuff and it's one of the, it's just an interesting way of how different people cope um when faced with really terrible challenges and pain and i think the capacity to celebrate through that time is amazing and it speaks to the human spirit and it also changes because in difficult times instead of having the steak and the wine you know you might have one little burger that you're sharing so you know it has to change but it's the celebration of being together right yeah. you know Right. And that, that is like, uh, that is very, that can change, right? Whatever that is. I mean, a steak could be a blow pop to someone if you're in the hospital <laughs> about whatever yeah. it is that day that you can find a way to like find joy in something that you're giving yourself. It's really true. I mean, I'm, I'm working on an article right now that is about just how do you do Passover during a pandemic? Because, you know, so many of the foods that people are stockpiling are not kosher for Passover. Mm. And I was speaking with one of the rabbis and she said, you know, this is a holiday, you know, the word Seder means order and it's this big ritual, like whatever. But basically Passover is a holiday about joy. And so whatever anyone cooks, you know, you might not be making a 10 pound brisket for your entire family, but if you make like a lovely chicken breast, for you and your partner, and it brings you joy, like happy Passover, you know? Absolutely. It has to do, it has to do with the intention. And intention yeah. is a very, very important thing during this time. And it's an important part in healing. You know, if our intention is, I am going to do the best I can through this time, um, it, it overrides everything else, whatever's diminished. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, I was actually just, I'm working on an essay as well um, that's, speaks to, about something different. It's about the restaurant industry, but part of it is about how do you measure something like joy that's immeasurable, right? Like what's the mm -hmm. metric for joy? <laughs> and it, it, there isn't one, right? It changes so much. It's so specific <laughs> to each person yeah. and each family and each situation. And I think like we're constantly during this situation having to really adapt to what joy means and what the metric for that is, for what joy is and how we define it and what's the scale and where we find it. And, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, talking about Passover and Jewish culture in general, I just know from like our family and our grandmother, my grandmother, Bobby's mom is a Holocaust survivor. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's in our culture and in our DNA to, be adaptable and finding joy in very strange places in very difficult times. Right. 
Well, and I mean, I think one of the things, you know, joy is a very specific word. Happiness is, you know, not, 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 not to knock happiness or anything, but it, but it's not an active thing. You just are not happy. Right. But joy is something that you can do on purpose. You can create joy. Joy is like an act. It's an emotion and it's also an action. And I mean, I've found that our family dinners, you know, although we've had probably some of the hardest conversations we've had to have as a three person family ever, you know, we made really good food. We brought it up. Our friends made us really good food. We opened the wine. We had this seating. And it, it was this actionable way to do something rather than just kind of letting like the the the, the ambient grief of the moment wash over us. No, I agree. And, and your story about your grandmother and the Holocaust made me think because when we were talking about Passover, I, I felt, you know, Passover was celebrated in the camps. They take maybe a piece of matzah and broke it. So we must find some way to celebrate Passover. We can't just let it go no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. Because yes. the word celebrate really means honoring. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, we were yeah. just talking about this with, um, I, be- I believe it was Dana. We've been, Dana Cowan, we've been doing a bunch of interviews today. And we were talking about how this entire crisis is unfolding, at least in this part of the world where we are in the springtime. And how interesting that juxtaposition is of this feeling of crisis and despair and uh, at the same time where things are blossoming and growing and yeah. and flowering and there's all this like life re- regenerating. And yeah. it's like very strange in one way, but I also am like really thankful for it because I think it speaks to kind of what we're talking about of things, of flowers growing out of the cracks and like a reminder that you know, even in really desperate times and people are losing everything financially, physically, emotionally, like a lot is unraveling for folks right now. But there is this capacity to still see blossoming. And hopefully that gives people a little bit of just hope and the ability to dream and remember that like life is fluid and it changes and, you know, we, you know, I was just thinking that it's some people know that and some people don't. And I agree that maybe the Jewish culture, it, it is part of our tradition to know that the suffering of the past and how we still honor. But I think it in a way we have maybe other people need to be uh, understand that more and be taught that in a way, you know, that it's OK in the worst of times to still find something to hold up and to, you know, let your spirit open up, let your heart open up, even when your heart is breaking. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think that I, I was I was I, I ventured out into the world today and I was driving back by my old high school um, it, just on my way home. And there's this huge forsythia bush that's like, you know, I've, I saw it every day from through every Mar- end of March, early May, starting from when I was four and now mm. I'm 24. And, you know, this is the time of year when forsythia blooms. It blooms this time every year. Like coronavirus is not going to stop it. Mm. And I think there was just something about that, which, you know, I've been inside like everyone for a month and I went outside and it was like, oh my gosh, right. There is, this is a, this is an annual botanic moment. And like, it is this time of year. It's not just every single day is this like weird, you know, unbroken wash of time. Yeah. Um, it, It was very comforting. It's interesting. And like, I, you know, a lot of people really like the spring and I've always had a very hard time in the spring historically. Mm -hmm. I feel like the spring is generally this very intense time of like, you know, regrowth 
and rebirth, we look at it as like, you know, because it's beautiful, because flowers are, are beautiful and we're ready to be warm again after, um, after the winter. But it's also like, you know, that kind of growing is painful too, right? Yeah. You like literally like, right, like grow out of your skin. That's why we get growing yeah. pains and stuff. And spring's always felt that way to me. And so I don't know. I just think it's an interesting time that this is actually all unfolding in the spring in this time of like, you know, it, it, I think some of these themes are forcing us to all be pushed to our limits and feels like we're going to be growing out of our skin in certain ways. That's a really good metaphor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Amelia, oh, no, go ahead. The ritual goes across so many. I mean, it's certainly the ritual of uh, Easter, the rebirth. Persephone in the Greek myth. I mean, the the ritual of the earth celebrating its rebirth from darkness, from death. It's so much part of our very uh, deepest, uh, you know, collective conscious, unconscious memories. It's 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 um, it's not only the deepest part of our internal lives. It's in a sense a very deep part of the physical reality of the universe. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. One of the days that dad felt better was the first sunny day and to make my life into the movie where I am the main character or anything, but it was very nice that we got the right lighting design for. (laughs) Dr. Nuremberg, we're so glad to hear that you're feeling better. It's just, it's just wonderful to hear your, uh, hear you and speak with you. Absolutely. We were all really affected by that. I really appreciate them. Yeah, and thank uh, you for everything that you do and helping people. The, the front line there—it's really just—it's uh, an amazing thing. It's um, amazing. It's so brave. It's, it's so brave. Um, I have a question for you both, actually. Um, okay. Is if you what that you have learned in this experience that's ha- either happened to you by force or that you've discovered. Um, by choice, do you want to take with you out of this experience into your life when life begins to normalize again? Wow, what a good question. Um, I, um, I, I think, I mean, I think in a really silly, concrete way, you know, I, I really haven't lived at home for years and years and years. And just it's so it's been so nice to have this moment of I think it's kind of the moment when it feels like our parent a child relationship really solidified as adult parent adult child Mm -hmm. um which is something that we've been struggling with for you know years as every parent and child do and I think that moving forward knowing how we treat each other as three adults while still understanding that I am, I am the kid, um, but also an adult is like a new family dynamic that I think will carry forward. It's, but that's, you know, not, not, not some big philosophical thing, but. You know, I, I think probably, you know, to reinforce what I've thought before, the importance of being awake to, you know, alive to and present to the individual moment. So that even at the moment that I intubated the patient, there was part of me that said was saying, take a stop, slow down. Mm. And I kind of ignored that voice, you know, the, 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 the demand of the moment pulled me in. And then the things that I wished to do many that I thought, well, I have years and years to do to all read this and I'll read that. When it came down to, you know, you might have seven more awake days. Mm-hmm. Um, what will you do with each of those days? What yeah. will you 
will you read if this is the last thing we can read? Yeah. Put a sort of emphasis and importance to the decisions and choices of every single moment. Wow. wow. Yeah. It's, it's really, you know, we have the opportunity because things have slowed down to be more mindful and aware of our moments. And you said it so well. You know, because it's really just mindfulness, and we we often act mindlessly in many different ways, and this is an opportunity for everybody, you know, to be more mindful of each moment. Yeah, to be able to dial in to the necessary, to the, and also I think a, a very interesting um, time to like, you know, you dial into what, because a lot of our luxuries have been stripped away, and of course for people, uh, certain folks of uh, you know, lower income folks and more so than us, but everyone in some way has had something in their normal lives uh, stripped away. And I think so we're learning that we can live with less, but at the same time also learning to really appreciate the things that are frivolous perhaps in some way more, right? So like, I don't know, like having a bite of ice cream to me now seems like less of a, you know what I mean? Like I, I think about, wow, this is so delicious, you know, and, and it is frivolous and I don't need it and I could live without it, but it's so good. It's better now than ever. Yeah. The things it's, that feed our soul. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to live in Bakar, Senegal. And when I came back to, after that job ended and I moved back home, I went to, I, you know, I was home and I went to Western Massachusetts and where I was living with some friends and um, walked into a grocery store and saw this row of perfect eggplants. And they, you know, Dakar has, is, you know, because of the legacies of colonialism, you don't get 800 perfect, identical, non-rotten, you know, limitless eggplants. Plants. And I was standing in this grocery store and I don't, I'm not, a, I, do, I don't cry very much. And I had, I, I, I wept in this grocery store, you know, in part because of jet lag and in part because of just being overwhelmed by this, this weird eggplant problem. <laughs> you know, I hadn't seen a perfect eggplant in so long. And, and I feel as though, I don't know, this is, I mean, this is the stupidest example I can possibly give you, but you know, I have split ends up to my ears. And when I finally get a haircut, it's going to be like the best haircut of my the life. Best. It's going to be yeah. so nice to, to well, in the, have another in, person touch me, you know? Yeah. In the name of appreciation, this has been a wonderful, amazing uh, call with the both of you. And we appreciate it so much, your time and you know, your energy and your love. Thank you. Right. Thank you so Thank much, you. guys. It was so great to speak with you both. And uh, yeah, please stay safe and healthy. And um, we look look forward to everything that you write, Amelia. You're a beautiful writer, and just your Thank voice you. is so so important. And thank you. And we're so glad um, that your dad is okay. And thanks for joining us. It was really great to have you jump on the. Thank you guys, you have a great daughter, <laughs> and you have some daughter there, Doctor. Yeah. She's I, amazing. Thank you. All right. Incredible. Thanks, guys. Take care, guys. Hey, so next up we have our good friend Anna Dunn. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is amazing to hear your voice. And uh, unfortunately, I wish that we were seeing your face, but your voice is the next best thing. Yeah. From afar. Are you? Where are you held up? I'm in bedside uh, in my house. 
which, you know, is, I feel lucky to be able to be in a house right now. Um, and also unlucky to be quarantined or I'm not quarantined, but I'm, I'm staying off the streets for the most part. I go grocery shopping and I take the dog for a walk, but that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Staying, staying at home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a weird, it's a weird time. I, you know, have a lot of people contacting me. I don't know if you're experiencing this too, but who are not in the city and with like a lot of panic and being like, how are you? Because I guess the perception from a news standpoint, um, and I guess it's, you know, accurate is that New York is an epicenter of this outbreak. Um, I, I don't know, at least where I am. And I just kind of mildly go out for like an early morning run or grocery shopping. Um, and that's about it. But life doesn't feel normal in any way at all. But at the same time, it also doesn't feel, I don't feel panicked when I walk out my door. I don't know. How do you feel in your, over in Bed-Stuy? Um, I don't feel panic. I do hear sirens uh, pretty constantly, which is unnerving, especially because the city is so quiet to some degree. I mean, you know, mm. also, like sometimes you'll hear like loud music and you'll think like somebody's having a party and that's nerve wracking all of a sudden. But um, I, you know, like, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of I, I guess I am operating under the assumption that I've been exposed to the virus because I was working right up until they told everybody till they shut the restaurants down to some degree. And um, right. I know a lot of people in my community have fallen ill and survived it, which is um, unlucky and lucky again, I guess. But uh, so... To some degree, I feel very much like I may be asymptomatic or not have it, but I still feel, or I'm just, you know, like I was, I did have like aches and pains for a couple of days, but I can't say that that was it so much as like exhaustion and stress. But when I do go to the grocery store, I, I, you know, like there's some question in my mind about like picking things up and taking them into my home. But, you know, I don't know. There's nothing to be done about it. It's just um, to, I think, try to be as safe as you can for your people and then keep living is kind of how I'm approaching it, I suppose. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, Zara, what you said was that one of the reasons why you probably don't feel a sense of panic is that we are in our homes. I mean, imagine if we couldn't be in our homes. And that's the whole... And that's when you really feel, you know, community panic. But absolutely, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we've been saying all along, you know, I feel like there's, you know, even being out of work and et cetera, et cetera. There's still so many blessings to count. And you kind of began this conversation, Anna, with mentioning, you know, feeling lucky for being in your home. And mom, you just brought it back up. And uh, there are so many folks out there that are in really dire situations and being homeless at this point, um, being food insecure. There's just, you know, so yeah. much pain and so much struggling going on. And so I feel like, yes, even being able to just have a home feels like such a win right now yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. Um, Anna, what are you, what kind of stuff are you, how is food playing in this? into this for you are you enjoying being able to cook are there things that you can't eat are you nervous are you you know taking comfort in cooking like what is that relationship like for you right now um well I want to say two things about that and kind of circle back to our conversation which is that we're going to circle back to the moment in our conversation a second ago about food insecure 
people and and people who are without homes. We, you know, like me and two other people started this mutual aid fund like two days before the restaurants closed and um, kind of unwittingly did that. Um, I think thinking that we would be like bringing groceries to our friends and people who were economically affected by restaurants slowing down. I don't think we really even thought about them closing. Um, and we get, you know, we've started to get like, I don't know, a hundred and, 40 emails a day from people. I would say that was, that's what we did today who are food insecure, who work in restaurants and don't have any savings and maybe didn't consider themselves food insecure before this happened. And it's, it's like overwhelming to some degree, this picture that is coming through our, our email box of what it's like to be a, um, person in living in New York who is just paying rent and barely squeaking by. I, I knew about it. I, you know, like I work in with populations of people who are very um, vulnerable, but I didn't really understand the scope of it until this happened. And it is, it's terrifying. I mean, it's like the other story it's there's the virus and then there's yeah um what's happening to people who yeah didn't have any access to um a safety net so it's yeah it's so i spend all day kind of like logging these reimbursements that we're doing that are $50 a week and reading the emails and then um yeah, and then I make dinner. It's weird. It's like the only creative thing I can do. I can't write <laughs> anything. I haven't read any books. I well, turn on a TV show at the end of the night sometimes and just fall asleep. So um, cooking has taken on a whole kind of like interesting um, kind of like meaning for me because it's all I can do. And... And it brings up um, so much about my day in terms mm. of like yeah. uh, how I am privileged in this nightmare. Yeah, um, absolutely. I I was very curious about that. First of all, I want to mention that the, can you just say what the organization yeah. that you have founded is called? Because I think it's really such a valuable thing and so important. And I just want people to be aware of what it is called. Yeah. It's called the Service Workers Coalition. Um, <laughs> which is just so funny to think about me and Seamus. I started it with Seamus Branch and Kelly Sullivan, and we just had lunch at Egg, and we're like, well, let's call it that. Um, it feels does feel like a different lifetime, which I know is kind of like a common sentiment I keep hearing, but I can't, I can't really picture what life was like then. I know. It's very strange. Yeah. It seems like really, yeah, like very, very far away. Um, and then how can people donate to the Service Workers Coalition? So right now we are taking donations through Venmo. We did file for a 501c3 and we're waiting to hear back. Um, if we got that, then we can take tax deductible donations. Hopefully that will come through because we are um, running out of money. So yeah, uh, as is everything okay. and everything. Oh, yeah. 
But um, but yeah, we just really started it with the Venmo account, an email address, and the Instagram. Great. And so what is the Venmo account called? BK um, Service Coalition. I should check that, actually. Um, <laughs> and then the Instagram is Service Workers Coalition? Yep. Okay. And the email is? And the email is... Sorry, let me just pull it up on my computer. No, no, no problem. I think it's an amazing thing, and you guys really just really jumped right into action immediately. And I think something that's really important for people to remember about charitable donations during this time is that you don't have to make a $100 donation to something. Yeah. It's great if you can, but a $5 donation, honestly, even a $2 donation, like it's all about how it accumulates, it accumulates. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm really not doing so great for money right now, but I do have $5 extra. Like, didn't, I believe a lot of your donations have come in small increments. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, we, yes. So we did, you know, we've raised about $55,000, which is huge in a couple of weeks. And most of those donations came from, um, in, in increments of five to like $20, which, you know, amazing. I'm assuming that means that it's service workers or it's people in this kind of extended community who are also affected who are um, committing to each other, which is really uh, moving and credible. Yeah. Here, I'll just read off the things because I have them in front of me. The, Ven <laughs> the Venmo is at BK Service Coalition. The email is serviceworkerscoalition at gmail.com. And the Instagram is um, serviceworkerscoalition. Awesome. That's great. Okay. Yeah, I think it's like an interesting thing you're mentioning, you know, you're spending your days in, in an extreme place of empathy and really trying to do the best you can to help people and having, you know, being confronted as many of us who are, who are keeping our eyes and ears open. Uh, some things that we all knew before, but are just more clear than ever of this being very much about uh, income inequality and class and, uh, you know, just a very huge part of our population in this country being unprotected um, and not having the same, you know, things in place and protections in place that, you know, people of privilege do and it being so much worse for undocumented folks and uh, largely like, you know, people who are low income. Um, and it's so interesting to have to, you know, not have, but to be immersed in that, which is uh, very important to be aware. And then at the end of the day, like you're saying, transitioning to cooking and self-care and stuff. And uh, I think it's important to have balance. We were just chatting with Dana Cowan before this and talking about um, the importance of caring for yourself in ways that you can to be able to conjure your strength to care for other people. How do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I, I think that's very much true. I, um, I don't know the role it plays in a crisis, you know, but I, I think it probably is an important role. I just don't, I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah, cooking is meditative for me so that I'm doing it, you know, every So that's day. part of your self care. So it's not just yeah. the food. It's also the meditative practice. Yeah. Yeah. But I do miss reading and writing, and I don't know how to approach those. I did some yoga one day. Um, I but you know what? I've been I slept a lot. You know, part of me felt mm. like it was depression, but I actually think that I was like 
one could have been getting sick and was fighting it, but two was just like, you have to resting. You just have to rest. And it's, it mm -hmm. seems like hard to think that you have to remind yourself of that when you're cooped up in your house to some degree, or you, <laughs> you know, like, like what, yeah, just take a nap or just sleep. Yeah. I've often surrounded by these two pets constantly. So they're, they're very helpful for my um, nerves. This, I have a dog mm. and cat that are always at my heel. So, and are you alone at home besides the dog and cat? No, I have a roommate, um, Eric, and I live with my brother, Evan. So mm -hmm. there's a, I feel lucky in the sense that like at the end of the day, there's like, you know, like some two people to like sit down with and talk things through and um, yeah. have dinner together, which is good. Yeah. I want to ask you um, to help our listeners, uh, if you wouldn't mind. I think that there's a big issue right now that a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of. And being that I know you do volunteer work on Rikers Island, I hope that you can maybe just give us a little bit more information about the need to um, release uh, prisoners from jail, from jails and prisons um, to prevent massive spread. Yeah. Um, of, can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. I This is actually my, kind of the most difficult part of um, my daily life at the moment, which is that I have a friend, you know, so I taught a class at Rikers Island for six months. Um, it was two nights a week and it was about two and a half hours long each class. And these two people came to my class um, every every came to every class uh one is has just been released she's um i don't know where she is I, I haven't heard from her since she was released so i feel really glad about that and the other person has not been released and, and unfortunately probably will not be but she calls every day um and we talk they you know they only you can't call somebody on rikers island they can call you but you the phone call is only three minutes so I've gotten a couple of phone calls from her and she is, you know, in a dorm that's quarantined all but two dorms at Rosie's, which is the women's facility are quarantined as far as I can understand, um, which means that they can't, they can't move around the facility. Um, and what she's quite upset about is that they, she has no books. So, um, there's nothing to read. There's nothing to do. They sleep on yoga mats, which is absurd. Um, and two or three people from her dorm were um, moved out of the dorm because they were sick. So she most likely has been exposed. I would I would assume everybody on Rikers Island has been exposed at this point. And it's very important um, for those people to be let out uh, because otherwise it's a death sentence to my mind. Yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all, that's the inherent nature of Rikers Island in my opinion, which is that it is very um, easily and possibly uh, a death sentence in general when you get sent there, meaning um, the likelihood of your um, of you returning to a life that is safe and um, in which you're able to thrive, I think is diminished exponentially so but right now it's it's in it's unconscious unconscionable for them to hold people um on that island and i i 
would encourage everybody to make phone calls and to try to get people out because it's very unsafe. I'm, which is and I'd like to I'd like to, I want to make one comment on Long Island. Uh, there's an organization called New Hour for Women and Children, Long uh-huh. Island, um, and it's also an advocacy program for uh, women in jails on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another program to uh, that people can, you know, donate to and help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's amazing. Um, yeah, I just think that there's so many. Um, there's such a myriad of ways in which people are experiences experiencing this crisis. And it's basically all set up on your level of privilege. And mm-hmm. if you're, if you're very privileged, you're very focused on, it's almost like a, a little like holiday, like a vacation, you know, like the time between Christmas and New Year's. Right. And that was, I think that was two weeks ago. I think it's changing because I, I think in our communities now, it, people are dying in our communities. They really right. Are. But I think that it's still very much based on class. People are having a very different experience. Um, that is for sure. And I think it's really important to, despite how fearful people may or may not be, it's still a very different experience. And I think it's very important to just keep reminding folks who are having this top tier experience of this to remember the people who are at the very bottom and whatever we can do to drive that home. Um, and like, you know, we kind of mentioned earlier, not everyone necessarily has the means in which to donate hundreds or thousands of dollars to different organizations. Some people don't have the means to donate any money. Um, if you don't have the means to donate money, could we share good information? You know, if you, don't have access to sharing good information, can you offer a smile to someone? I mean, so I feel like each of us has the capacity and hopefully those of us who have the top tier capacity um, use their power for good. And I think it's really important for folks like yourself, Anna, to be out there really helping us um, all realize, you know, just opening our eyes to the different um, issues that are going on right now and how to help. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's bad for everybody. And and it's especially bad for some people and it's terrifying for everybody. You know what I mean? So yeah, we have to like think of our, our community as something that is expansive, not something that is that retracts, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. so that means that like my community are, you know, our nurses, our incarcerated people, our um, people who work in kitchens, our undocumented people are, older people who are getting who are very scared to go to hospitals the, you know this is all of these people are our community and sorry that dinging noise i can't turn it off i'm not that's okay no <laughs> but, problem that's fine yeah so yeah i it's very um it's scary yeah, yeah. right and i think that's an important point to make because you know to not be like ashamed of yourself if you are a privileged person it's just to remember that like there are so many other people and that now we are truly in this together and how do we how do we all use what we have to come together yeah yeah that's you know that's what I think that the mutual aid fund kind of started because I was um because I knew because social distancing is important obviously that's real that's a real um strategy to stop this thing from doing all the damage that it can do. But what I was afraid of is that, you know, like living in New York city, you're 
you're really aware of the fact that like you depend on other people, strangers to make it through your day, you know, safe and, and they depend on you, you know, like, I guess, you know, like if you see somebody fall over on a train, you know, you help them. If you, you are, you are connected to thousands of people you don't even know. And, and that was, that's really important here because of how difficult it is to live here generally, you know, like it's not easy. And, you know, some of us choose, choose it and and it chooses us. So I, I just was scared that people would turn away from um, each other. And so I, yeah, I was listening to somebody on NPR. I wish I had caught his name. He said, you know, we should be, we should be, you know, we should change the language around this. We're physically distancing, but we should practice social solidarity, which, um, you know, I think is really important, an important distinction. I think that's amazing. I want to, I want to share a very quick story, which kind of, it relates what we're saying. And to me, it just is um, proof of how even, even during this time, your instincts to help just your human instincts kick in. I was walking with my friend, Dan, uh, several weeks ago on a distance walk from each other, um, maybe two or three weeks ago now near where they live in Ridgewood and we're taking a walk. And my friend Dan is just like one of those people that is very tuned in to other human beings more so than almost anyone I know. And we're walking through this graveyard and there's a young family, uh, sitting, having a picnic on a pretty fresh grave because there wasn't a headstone yet and it was still all decorated and they had a little baby and they, my friend Dan, they saw something out of the corner of their eye and started running towards this family. And I was like, what is going on? But I followed them obviously right behind cause I saw them running and it turns out the baby was choking and the parents didn't know what to do and they couldn't save it. And so they just handed this little baby off to my friend and my friend gave it the Heimlich maneuver and saved its life right there in the graveyard. And, you know, it just was incredible for so many reasons, obviously, but it was just a reminder that even in this time, and this is not, you know, to say that we should all just go uh, social distancing, obviously is hugely important, but it was just something about that, which reminded me that the human spirit and our instinct to help each other indoors, no matter what yeah. is going on um and you know i think you can kind of take that and carry it over to what you're saying even if we can't you know all be together our our instincts to help one another don't have to don't have to die right. yeah. instincts shouldn't be to turn away it should exactly. be to turn towards exactly right. and to have your senses heightened towards what people yeah. might be needing in this time i think is really important yeah yeah yeah. Well, we saw it in nine eleven, and you know we're we're seeing it now, hopefully. Yeah, and seeing different things because it, this really is so much like we we're talking about. This whole episode is about privilege and class, and you know I hope that uh, I hope that people just you know do the right thing and help each other. There's a huge yeah. opportunity for it. Right. Yeah. It's just, you know it's confusing. It's like and people want to help and they don't know how to. We, right. I should say. We also got, um, we, I would say we have like 200 people who have offered to volunteer, you know, for this mutual aid fund. And, and, and I, and I don't know how to help them help people because I, you know, like 
we really were, you know, doing deliveries for people who are quarantined or don't have bank accounts essentially, but um, mostly we're direct um, reimbursing for groceries online because we're trying to keep people as safe as possible. So it is, you know, people do want to help. It's just hard to know how to do it in this yes. particular moment. Right. Well, I think there's a patience element to that too. You know what I mean? It's just like sitting back and waiting because the opportunities to help, I think, and Bobby, I think you might've said this to me, the opportunities to actually physically help may have not yet arisen. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. That's right. I think there's so much rebuilding to do and so much like physical, like being able to get in there and we just don't necessarily see those opportunities yet. And it's frustrating. I've, I've myself have felt frustrated and I'm like, I want to do more. I want to be able to get in there more. And I think that like, Part of it is just of like, you know, paying close attention to what you see there's a need for, kind of trying to ruminate on how in the future, you know what I mean? And, and while still now doing what you can. Yeah. Well, this is a good time for me to bring up that, you know, I'm uh, supporting my, you know, client community. I'm also supporting my bigger community down Long Island, but I've also offered to help pro bono um, restaurant people in the restaurant industry who are struggling. Um, you know, I, I can do you know, one to two uh, free visits, assessments a week. So I think, Zara, could you say how that's been? Um... Yeah, absolutely. So um, Bobby has been uh, kind enough to offer two sessions a week um, with folks in the service industry. That's me Who need counseling and cannot afford it. And um, you can just reach out to processing at heritageradionetwork.org to set up a session and um i think it's beautiful mom that you're doing that to to kind of help give back yeah i think that's huge i think that's i've you know seen i've witnessed the on kind of like slow unraveling of the people in my community you know because we are such a social my direct restaurant community we are so we were our work is social we are social people we need each other and it's very scary to feel like i can't um reach out and hug them or like tell them that it's going to pass, that it doesn't, I can't, you know, like I can't do that. So I think it's really wonderful and important that, um, that you're doing that, Bobby. That's great. Thank you. It's my honor. Yeah. Anna, it was very, very nice to catch up with you as always. You're a wonderful human and thank you for doing what you're doing to help people and to give back. And uh, you're just a, an empath and a great human. And it's, it's always a pleasure. And an inspiration. And an oh, inspiration, absolutely. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. So nice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We'll um, we'll catch up with you soon and keep yeah. keep doing keep doing good work. Yeah. Thanks. Stay healthy. Thanks, Anna. Okay. Stay in touch. Yes. We'll do. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>